Welcome to Blue Talks. First thing I would like to do is say thank you very much for being here and being ready to listen to me. And I'd like to just kind of regulate a little bit. And some of you might have seen I'm sitting there doing this a lot today. It helps to interrupt the brain patterns when you're too much in your right brain and getting worried about things. So if you anybody's feeling nervous, feel free to do this. Just try it out. It's kind of settling. And if you can tell yourself, I've got this, I'm good. I've got this. <laughs> it's actually very helpful. So I've been working on that for a little while. Now, I discovered this morning that I have an anniversary today. It's, I'm not going to say how many years, but a few years since I became a board certified behavior analyst. And that is part of my very academic journey. See, I grew up with a huge sense of imposter syndrome. And that came from a place of feeling shame. And I'm going to explain where that came from in a little bit. But Anne here is my skeleton out of the closet because I didn't know she was there for so long. And it took me a very long time to figure out what happened. Like, why, why could I keep myself small all the time, yet keep trying to prove that I wasn't stupid? So I'll get to that story in a minute, but I'd like to bring in human design first because, you know, I have four degrees. They're all in science. So where does human design come in? Well, you know, I did all the analytical thing and it's great, but it's not everything. Something was still missing and I wasn't getting the answers. I can analyze your behavior all day long. I can tell you what you're doing and why, and I can tell you how to do it differently. But the fundamental piece that's inside that you can't see, that was missing. And then one day I was working on my website, which I love, by the way. So if anybody wants to check it out, gaffinstone.com, two Fs. I'm very happy with it. But the, the woman that was building it with me, I'm not very techie, she was getting visibly frustrated. <laughs> and to be fair, and she said to me one day, you know, have you ever done your human design chart? And I was like, my, my what now? And she said, human design, have you looked at it? Uh, no, you know, I was aware of it. I thought it was a, like a black hole to throw money into. So why would I do that? But I was intrigued because she's very analytical herself and very tech minded. And she said, would you just go do your chart and let me see it because I want to figure out how to work with you. I was intrigued. So, okay. I found a place to get my chart done and I gave it to her and then I watched. Okay, what's she going to do with this? And she looked at it and I watched these emotions play across her face. And she said, oh, you know what? Now it makes sense. I get it. You take a luxurious amount of time to make a decision. Okay. And then she said, I can see how to work with you better because what we were doing was wrong for how your human design is. Okay. So she changed a few things and I have to say she was right. Suddenly everything started with working more smoothly and we got along better and got things done. Now I'm the type of person who dives in deep, as you can probably tell, 
with the degrees and certificates and things. And so I dove in to have a look and the more I discovered, the more I learned that human design was a fabulous way of finding out who you are under all that should that people have put on you. When you're told, oh, you shouldn't be so loud, you should be quiet, you should be over here, da da da. When people should on you, it is the wrong thing for you. So I discovered with human design that, oh, those things I thought were wrong, they're actually right. Anyway, as I was investigating this, an old story came up. Enter Anne. Because I had some limitations and I didn't know why and then an old story that I'd forgotten about surfaced. When I was a kid, I traveled a lot. I was always moving place to place. I even moved country to country. And I ended up living in the UK. And in eighth grade, I started yet another school. I have no idea how many I've been to by this point. I didn't keep track. And it had all the signs it was gonna to be tough. I was right, it was tough. They put me in a classroom with a teacher who had a reputation. He did not have failures in his class. And I'd been to a lot of different school systems. I also had an invisible learning disability, dyscalculia. That means numbers and me are not friends. We do not get along. His specialty was math. <laughs> this was a problem. Now on my first day in that classroom, he showed me the new kid, his cupboard. He had a cupboard he was oddly proud of. And when he opened it, there were canes lined up in that cupboard. And a size nine white sneaker and a large ruler. And this was the cupboard he would use to keep kids in line. So one of the kids next to me leaned over and said, the thinnest ones hurt the most. Great, really wish I didn't need to know that. He also would improvise by throwing the wooden-backed chalkboard eraser at your head if you got the wrong answer. So you can imagine how much fun I had in this class. None. I knew I was going to fail the math exam. I didn't know why, but I knew it was going to happen, and it did. I was berated in the classroom. It was, you can imagine the scene, it was not pretty. And I couldn't wait to get out of that school. Oh, man. I, I almost made it. I was ready to celebrate. And then we had a school-wide assembly. Great, boring. So I'm there, people are talking, people are talking. Wasn't really listening. And then my teacher walked up on the stage and he started <laughs> and I paid attention. And then I was called up onto the stage. And he said that I was a failure that he was retiring because I was the only kid that had ever failed and that I would never complete anything, never be good at anything. So that, that shame went deep inside and I kind of hid. I, I sort of peeked up under my hair to see if anybody was looking, I don't know, sympathy, understanding, something. You're throwing me a bone here. Um, nothing, not one person showed any kind of sympathy at all. Walking off that stage was the very definition of the walk of shame. My God, can you imagine? It was brutal. And that 
was what has kept me off stage, off speaking in public until right now. This is my first time since whew, I got through it. So human design helped me to uncover where the imposter syndrome came from and why I was carrying such a burden. And that teacher was a lot of it, not all of it, but he was a lot. So I have been using human design with my clients since then as a foundation for coaching so that they can understand why they are actually perfectly designed and the things that they've been told are keeping them small. So how can we use your design to get into flow and then use behavior change science as it's needed to progress out of that place of stuckness into your actual greatness? So that is the story of my journey with human design from science to spirituality. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.